0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding
1: exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. So, should we open with a joke or something? Do you have one? No, but I don't know. You're the funny one. That's trouble.
0: I don't have a joke today. I'm sorry. We're just going to have to go with it. hi Derek okay let's talk about CoffeeScript and JavaScript okay one of my favorite things is when you write a JavaScript article on the blog and then post it to Reddit or something like that or Hacker News or wherever and it
1: has CoffeeScript code samples in it people really love that yeah no, and, and a lot of times the only syntactic difference, because it'll be some crazy simple code example, and so it'll just be like parens arrow, and that's the only syntactic difference once in the article, and people still go crazy about it. I'm guessing at this point you do it
0: just for the lulls at this point? Like...
1: Well, I try, I'd always try and take the code examples actually from real code and usually simplify it a little bit to suit the example, and I try to avoid writing plain JavaScript. Hmm. All right. So let's get into that. So you've been doing like for
0: what a year and a half, basically, been writing mostly JavaScript. Uh, yeah. For client projects, anyway.
1: For client projects, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Marshall Codex was the big one, and that was a uh, very, very heavy Angular app, JavaScript, WebGL, and we chose to go th- with entire in just CoffeeScript for the whole thing, and it worked out pretty well. I was especially happy with it as I got more into functional programming and simple things like destructured assignment or function currying, which I guess we should probably define what both of those are. So function currying is where you have a function that takes two arguments, but rather than giving it two arguments, you instead have it take a single argument and return a function that takes a single argument that returns the result. And the benefit of that is that you can pass in the first argument on its own and give it the second argument later when you're, for example, iterating through a list. And then destructured assignment is a very simple form of pattern matching. So it's where you're saying, like, I've got three things in an array, and I want to give them names rather than accessing index 0 or index 1. So you can just do square brackets, thing 1, thing 2, thing 3, equals that array, and it'll it'll figure out how to, how to decompose those. And so we use that very heavily in the Marshall Codex code base. Cool. I was on a project where we did... Basically, straight
0: JavaScript. We did. It was a lot of Angular and a little bit of Node on the server side. And at first, I was really very upset that we weren't doing CoffeeScript on either side of that because I had just grown accustomed to it. Um, it's definitely a wake up call when you're accustomed to CoffeeScript going back to JavaScript and being so much more wordy. Yeah. But you know, within a few months, I could bang out at an immediately invoked function pretty quickly, which was uh, useful. And then I could get to work. And you know, I think. All the while, I basically complained that we weren't writing CoffeeScript because it's just like I said, so much more wordy. I felt like, and there's so much more noise involved in the code, and sometimes hard to follow. Um, simple constructs that you can do in CoffeeScript in one line, you can take three, four, five in JavaScript, and just don't look as pretty. And I'm real, I'm a real fan of how the shape of code looks to see, like if it if it looks nice, then it probably makes some sort of sense. At least that's what I think in my head. And I think CoffeeScript makes it easy to write things that look vaguely nice. Like there's that question mark operator in CoffeeScript, which is like the existential operator, I guess. Is is that Mm -hmm. what they call it? That is what they call it. To me, that looks kind of hideous, but it does the job of what would be like three or four lines of JavaScript if you were writing that out, right?
1: Yeah, well, and it's really useful when you actually do just need to check for undefined, over the course of like three or four properties, which ideally you shouldn't have to do, but I'd say you're more likely to be forced into needing to do that in JavaScript than, say, Ruby. Right.
0: They actually ripped off that syntax in Swift. Oh, they have that same existential operator? Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, Not the existential operator, but specifically for chaining. Um, They have a type that represents an optional value, and then uh, one of the things you can do, it's basically their version of fmap, but it only works with maybes, and it's just question mark dot. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah,
0: I would say a funny thing happened as I got further and further along in this project. And I just kind of got like Stockholm Syndrome set in, I guess. And I just kind of got used to writing JavaScript <laughs> as JavaScript and not having that pre-compile step. When I was first starting getting into writing CoffeeScript, I would tell people, oh, I'm really liking this CoffeeScript thing. And they would say things like, oh, but then when you go to debug it in the browser, it's a different language. And I would constantly say like, ah, it's not really an issue. I know how the CoffeeScript maps to the JavaScript for the most part and someday source maps will be along to save us all. Yeah. And it won't be a problem. But fast forward a couple of years, and if you're a Rails developer, we still don't have source maps in Rails and sprockets. And Soon, maybe, hopefully. Maybe, yeah. Maybe hopefully. in five. They're working hard on it, I know. So, you know, all that said, when I when we were writing raw JavaScript, it actually ended up being really nice that it was just one line for one line everywhere I was going. And I started to really like that and appreciate that and uh, if I tweaked something in the console to get it to work, I could make that exact change in the source, which was nice. Mm-hmm. So I started to think, like, how much is CoffeeScript really getting me versus how much is it costing me? Right. Another point was, like, way back when I first started writing CoffeeScript, you know, which is probably right when it got merged into Rails 3.1 is when I actually became aware of it being a popular thing. When I first started writing it, there was a comment saying that CoffeeScript writes better JavaScript than you, which for me, was definitely true at the time. Like, I didn't really know about all the edges of JavaScript. And the nice thing about CoffeeScript is that there's some, like, in JavaScript, there's so many ways to do the same thing, and some of them are dangerous, and some of them are not. And some of them are more idiomatic than others. And CoffeeScript just kind of papers over all that and says, there's going to be one way to write it in CoffeeScript, and it's going to compile down to one way to do it in JavaScript, and it's going to be the safe, lintable, right way,
1: right? And you won't accidentally use
0: double equals. So at, at the time, that was definitely true for me. I actually learned a lot of JavaScript by looking at what CoffeeScript produced and saying, oh, that's neat. That Look at that pattern. I guess that's the preferred way to do this kind of thing. And at some point, I got involved in a JavaScript-heavy project where we weren't using CoffeeScript and really took that and started writing much better JavaScript myself. And now when I look at the CoffeeScript source, or not the CoffeeScript source, what CoffeeScript produces for JavaScript, I'm bothered by it. Like, it's not the kind of thing... Like, a common counter to, um, you know, what happens when you decide you don't want to write CoffeeScript anymore is, well, you're left with all this JavaScript that's fine. But, like, I wouldn't be happy with that JavaScript as my source. Like, it's not something that I would... Like, it's great for what a machine produces. Like, that's pretty good and it's pretty readable. But there's all these extraneous returns everywhere that you may or may not need, like, commands or returning values. I mean, that happens in Ruby, too, but but it's not loud like it is in JavaScript. Things like that.
1: Well, and I... I would argue that it's not terribly difficult to go take what CoffeeScript produces and turn it into JavaScript. You would want to maintain if you need to, and you know one of the big uh, I think it's both a pro and a con of CoffeeScript is it still produces yes three compatible code. So for example, we don't have an answer in CoffeeScript to the get and set literals that exist in JavaScript. But at the same time, if you have four comprehensions in CoffeeScript, it won't compile down to calling for each or map, which may or may not be available on the browser that's running it. And if it is available, may or may not be as performant as manual iteration. And so you get get a lot of stuff like that that you don't necessarily... uh, Lodash and and underscore certainly have have filled in this gap quite a bit for plain JavaScript as well. But there's definitely interesting benefits in terms of just you have readable code that compiles down to something uber performant. Right. And you you touched on like some of the the browser differences. So CoffeeScript
0: compiling down to ES3 compatible JavaScript. When we were writing plain JavaScript in this last project, we made such heavy use of underscore that like, if I needed to do something, it was like, I'm sure there's something in underscore that can do this for me. Let me let me look it up. And that was really nice. But what I actually came to find out over the course of that project is that for the most part, I didn't need to use underscore in lots of places I was actually using underscore like map. And reduce and all this are in most of the browsers we care to target. Um, right. Like if you're targeting IE8, then you're out of luck. But if you're targeting IE9 and other modern things, um, you can mostly just use those things. So I'm interested. You said that sometimes even those native functions aren't as performant as just
1: doing a manual manual loop. Do you know like in what cases that's that's true? For each. Um, I, I don't know if this is still the case. Uh, I just remember back in in one of the earlier days of underscore. It was previously implemented where if for each was present, it would just use the native for each, and then JS Perf came along, and everyone started testing it, and it turned out if you wrote it as a while loop, it was significantly faster than using the browser's built-in for each function. Yeah, I did notice that like
0: underscore in a kind of recent release, I feel like removed all of those native function fallbacks, and now I think they might all be gone basically. And it I guess uh, they probably followed lodash's lead on that. I think lodash was the first to kind of remove those fallbacks. Yeah, And it ended up being, being a performance gain. I'm not really... I'm never sure how much to trust those JS Perf results. Oh, because, yeah. No, I'm with you. They, right, they end up like... They're, you're exercising something thousands of times, which changes the execution context of what you're doing. Like, yeah. the browser's going to treat that differently. They're basically gaming <laughs> gaming the, the metrics at that point. Perhaps not intentionally, but...
1: Well, and, and you've also got... Uh... At least in V8, you've also got uh, something somewhat akin to the Hotspot compiler in Java. So your performance characteristics of doing something in a real app are going to be different than the performance characteristics of doing just that thing. Right. And then and with the latest version of Safari, you've got that crazy LLVM compiled
0: stuff that kicks in at some point. And I don't know how that would, in fact, impact any benchmarks like that. But have you heard yeah. about that thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Uh, we're not going to get into that because I don't know anything
1: about it. But maybe you do. <laughs> not not implementation details but just I know of it I should say I do think there's an argument for using the lodash functions though even when there's a browser equivalent available just because there are still some that we would like that either aren't at all in the specification or not in every browser yet and it always bugs me when I look and see one code where it's dot for each and then two lines down it's underscore dot reduce or fold left or whatever Just for consistency's sake, I always try and stick to one.
0: Yeah, that's true. And there's nice things like find where and things like that in Lodash and underscore that don't exist natively. Yeah, basically the full Ruby enumerable. (laughs) Right, right. So as I was saying, like through a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, I kind of like got used to writing JavaScript. And then as we were preparing for this, I was talking to a couple coworkers here, mostly Blake, talking to Blake and he was making a big point that we're using the wrong precompiler, basically, and that we shouldn't be precompiling with CoffeeScript. We should be precompiling with something like ESNext or the Tracer, the Google Tracer thing, because we should be targeting ES6 and really being future-proof and writing At, at some point. If you like what ES6 gives you, at some point, that compilation step actually does go completely away, and you're just writing native ES6. Because a lot of what we've mentioned here is an ES6. We've got yep. you know, the fat arrow functions. We've got we didn't mention those yet, but you've got fat arrow functions which basically bind this properly. Right. You've got these the destructuring assignment is there, comprehensions are there. Classes. Classes are there differently than CoffeeScript classes, but they seem sufficient to me for what you usually use classes for in JavaScript. Default parameter values, uh, splats basically are there. I think they call them like rest parameters or something like that. Yeah,
1: and and the frigging syntax is backwards, but close enough.
0: (laughs) They did their best. And one of my favorites is the template strings. I find like the JavaScript string concatenation is such, it's so ugly. Again, getting Mm -hmm. back to my preference for nice looking code, concatenation is one of the things that bugs me the most in JavaScript and I try to avoid it. But the template strings are nice. Modules, stuff
1: like that. So is that a good argument that we're targeting the wrong? precompiler well so when we can use it maybe there's syntactically things that we can that we can use precompilers for es6 to get there's other things like generators or uh, not not computed properties that's es5 there's another there's another one around uh, long lines of properties i can't remember off the top of my head that basically the precompiler would have to intercept every property access to be able to polyfill uh, object.observe those sorts of things but there's, it's also just a question of so if es6 is there right the question shifts to, does CoffeeScript still have a reason to exist? And I would say it does. One of the big ones, again, I'm, and this is, I'm probably one of the few people who actually cares that much about it, but function currying, it just goes to p- parens, arrow, parens, arrow. Um, <laughs> that works really well in an audio media right there. Yes. <laughs> function Functional currying. Of thought. Yes. Function currying. Re- implicit return, which I, I think Fat Arrow does have implicit return, right? But regular functions don't.
0: I'm not aware. I actually have not written much ES6 other than playing around with it in the last couple of they weeks. We might have
1: it then. But that's a, that's another big one. I always, always, always forget to type out return and then spend five minutes staring at it wondering why it's not working. I'm a fan of significant white space. So I, can, I still consider that to be a plus. And then the biggest one for me is just this dot versus at. I prefer to not have to write it at all, you know, a la Ruby, Scala, Java, anything where the this is implicit. But at the very least, shortening it to at foo instead of this dot foo when you have to access 16 instance properties in a row looks so much neater. What do you got 16 instance properties for, Sean? I, I, don't, I, I don't have a <laughs> way to come back. No. Um, this I don't is know. why I shouldn't do radio.
0: <laughs> I always think the... The at thing to me is something that I don't, I don't like the looks of. I guess I would get, I, I mean, I do get used to it when I'm writing a lot of JavaScript, but I don't really mind writing this dot something to access the the property. I've just, in the last couple of weeks, kind of been playing with the ES6 stuff, and I put a research card in. At Thoughtbot, we have the, a research board where we document experiments we'd like to make or experiments that are, we're actually doing in projects today. And one of the cards I put on was to try ES6 on a project and using a compiler for that rather than CoffeeScript. And I'd really like to get into that and try and see where exactly through experience, not via just reading about documentation through experience, where those differences are. Because I think if I were starting a new Rails project today, writing CoffeeScript and getting that up and running is so simple that I think I would just keep doing that. Mm -hmm. But I am really curious to see if we switch that to using an ES6 compiler, if that would be sufficient or if it would even be better than writing the CoffeeScript. So I'd really want to try that out.
1: And I'll bet you someone's
0: made a, a tracer gem for Rails to hook into the asset pipeline. Yeah, and there's so many. I was I spent my last investment day looking at these different compilers, and there's so many, and it's hard to know exactly <laughs> which one is the best and how much they support. Especially, I mean, I'm not even familiar enough with ES6 to know about the different things that go into it. Um, I just have this vague bucket of stuff that I keep adding to, like comprehensions and string, whatever you call that. Bah. <laughs> Template strings? <laughs> template strings, yes. Um, things like that that I keep adding to my bucket of things that I know are in ES6. So I would still probably, especially on a Rails project where the setup is basically done for you, I would lean towards continuing to write CoffeeScript, but
1: I would keep my eye on these ES6 um, cross-compilers. I'm with you. I think the race is, is a lot closer in ES6 compared to ES5. Right. But I don't. Uh,
0: one of the things I'm not sure about is if you're not writing Rails, right? And you're writing JavaScript for whatever reason, (laughs) Um, a JavaScript-only project. When we were setting up this last project I was on, which is like six months ago, granted, we're not as knowledgeable in the JavaScript space as we are in the Ruby space, but we had a really hard time finding like a canonical setup for, oh, I want to write a web application with JavaScript that has CoffeeScript compilation. Like for as much as Rails developers rag on the asset pipeline, does mostly sort of just work out of the box <laughs> especially if you're deploying to like heroku you, like everything just gets taken care of for you at this point and it was really rough at first but it works great right now and it's actually one of my favorite features of rails is the asset pipeline and yeah. trying to reinvent that in a javascript app because there was no out of the box solution that seemed to be a slam dunk was really painful so at that at, i mean if you were doing that i would say maybe just stick with javascript or maybe things have changed with some of these um like ember's the closest i think yeah even that though seems like the javascript thing seemed to come into and out of favor so quickly like yeoman was like really hot a couple years ago i feel like or a year and a half ago and now recently i haven't heard much about it at all and i hear a lot about ember cli setting up ember projects but i'm not sure what that does for CoffeeScript or does not do gulp is the new grunt apparently Yeah, Gulp is the new grunt. Broccoli is the new... Whatever. It's it's Supposedly,
1: actually, Broccoli is supposed to be the asset pipeline without Rails. Right, and supposedly
0: pretty fast. We did try to get that in later days on this project. We did try and get Broccoli up and running, and we just weren't quite successful. It's really... What's out there now for Broccoli is really geared towards Ember projects. And um, we're an Angular project, and we were having problems like doing the template cache compilation, things like that weren't as straightforward as we would have liked, so we ended up giving up on it. There wasn't really a business reason to do it, so we didn't spend a ton of time on it, but I feel like that'll come along nicely.
1: Yeah. Well, on on Marshall Codex, even though it was primarily an Angular app, um, what did I just click on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was the
0: beep for swearing. I'm sure you just said a (laughs) four-letter word behind there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Even though it was a, uh, primarily an Angular app, we still ended up sticking with the asset pipeline uh, and just keeping it as a monolith uh, simply because it was backed by a Rails API. A very simple one, but I wanted to be able to write integration tests that go through the browser and hit a real database and not hit mocks.
0: Yeah, that would have been great for us. <laughs> we had to basically reinvent a whole bunch of that framework, too. I would have loved to use Capybara all these things we complain about as Rails developers. When you live outside of Rails for an extended
1: time, there's a there's a lot of really nice infrastructure that's set up for you there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny too. I'm working on an Android app right now, and, we, and we've got an issue that we're having right now with just a, a very large chunk of memory, specifically that is twenty some odd thousand very very small objects, and we just need to create some intermediate data structures to figure out basically the position of everything on a given frame, and Running on a really, really, really just straight up bad garbage collector, I've gained a lot of respect for V8 as an engine lately. We we really underestimate how optimized that thing is, especially considering JavaScript's a dynamic interpreted language, which is very hard to make be quick. Yeah, I mean, there's a good reason for that, right?
0: It's the only thing that's in the in every browser. So sure. a lot of money has gone into making that the way it is. And these, the, what's nice is all these engines keep one-upping each other. So, I think we're all benefiting from that. Yeah, there's no there's no competing Android (laughs) runtimes, right? There's just the one, and uh, if you've got an Android phone, you've got to use it. So, they actually did just replace it,
1: but we can't use that yet. It's the ES6 of Android. (laughs) It's you can't use it because nobody ever gets Android updates. Is that the no? Because the update it's in it's the default in Lollipop. The updates for that haven't started rolling out yet. Right, and by the time they do, anybody that bought a phone last year probably isn't going to upgrade to it. Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> Do we want to talk about anything that's not like CoffeeScript or JavaScript? Like, mm, Probably not. We don't want to get into like ClojureScript and all these other things right now, right? Do we?
1: Yeah. No. If we want to rag on CoffeeScript some more, I can tell some horror stories about what Fat Arrow by default did when I tried to track down a memory leak. Fat Arrow by default? Like you use Fat Arrow on everything or...? Yeah, I got into this habit where I got so tired because uh, I always forget to turn on strict mode. So I'd get, I would get super tired of passing an instance method as an anonymous function to jQuery or underscore or what have you. Hang on. So CoffeeScript, is this because it's e- it targets ES3? It does not
0: enable strict mode by default? Is that what's going on?
1: Actually, I don't know why it doesn't enable strict mode by default because use the string literal use strict is completely valid in ES3. Right. But it does not enable it by default. Interesting. I'd have to look into why that is carry on so yes. you got into
0: the habit of using fat arrow to bind this
1: i imagine right. just, so just that way i never see like can't access property foo of undefined what the does this mean spend 20 seconds staring at it before i realize oh right i need to bind the function so for a while i started considering it a best practice just to use fat arrow by default and there, there used to be a lot of arguments against it that are mostly invalid nowadays like it doesn't get set as a named function in stack traces that's no longer the case Supposedly, it used to impact performance. That doesn't seem to be the case. But the one that I ended up running into was uh, when I had a memory leak in Marshall Codex I had to track down. And basically, every place that I used fatter on an instance method, any time I used an instance of that object, I would have 18, 20, whatever retaining trees for it from the con- uh, the closure that was created for that function. Because what it ends up doing is assigning the function in the constructor rather than on the prototype. Well, it does both, but it sets this dot whatever equals magic binding code um, with this on, and that that creates a closure and that retains this. And so when you're looking for the one place that an object actually is being retained, digging through 20,000 val context in closure for this in whatever named function, which you have to click three times to actually realize that you're in that closure, made it a pain in, in the... Pain in the backside to <laughs> uh, track down. You said
0: something there that was, was, oh, the named function thing. This is more of a JavaScript thing than anything else, but like, I've really gotten used to having anonymous functions, and for the most part, it just works out fine. So I've stopped worrying when people tell me to name functions. Like when you assign an anonymous function to an object property, the stack trace is going to look fine. Don't worry about yep. it. That one will. Most of them tend to, I feel like. I don't know. I haven't really been bit by it. Even when an anonymous function does show up somewhere, I still am able to make sense of it usually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a question of how quickly you're able to find it, especially when you're nested three levels deep. Sure. It's a lot easier, though, when you're actually dealing with the source that you wrote than when you're dealing
0: with precompiled source.
1: I'm going to pull out your statement from earlier because I I feel the same way. I've never had a hard time looking at a line of the compiled JavaScript and knowing exactly where in the CoffeeScript source code it came from. That's true. I can't remember having a hard time, but at the same time,
0: I do distinctly remember it being useful that it was exactly a one-to-one thing. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, I mean, people who are writing CoffeeScript outside of Rails have source maps, so this is less of a problem for them. If you're writing CoffeeScript in Rails with sprockets... You do not have this luxury yet, but as we said, there is a plan for that with Sprockets 4.0, I believe, is when they're planning to release that. 3.0 laying the groundwork for that. Supposedly. So
1: hopefully that works out well. That's actually another good point as well, just talking about source maps. One of the other places they're becoming more and more important is if you're writing a massive single-page JavaScript application, you should probably be tracking your errors in production. And those aren't terribly useful when your snack trace is function queue on line four of application.js, which is
0: <laughs> right. what they
1: look like if you don't have source maps.
0: Yeah, this is definitely true. I didn't think about that, but that's absolutely the case, yes. Yeah, they're, they're just even more important in, in production, in yeah minified production scripts. Exactly. All right, so in conclusion, you love CoffeeScript. Yes, I like function currying. And I think it's okay. But I'm, I'm open to dating other precompilers. i
1: agree yes six is is pretty sick
0: yeah i mean it's still got all the problems that javascript has in that it's right. very noisy and has, still has all those sharp edges everywhere but once you know where those are it's a little easier to avoid them
1: i would agree with that hey yeah. side note all of you people who are running apps in production that are on rails 4.1 you should go download the rails 4.2 beta and run your test suite please please it will not be a painful migration if people actually test the beta it should not be breaking your apps and if it is we want to know about it is there any area
0: in particular you would like them to look at
1: if you're doing anything with active record so basically everyone
0: (laughs) all right then i will heed that advice myself that's it that is it you can find the show notes for this episode at bikeshed.fm slash three as always ratings and reviews on itunes are much appreciated Thanks for listening to The Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time.